Well, good morning and welcome from wherever you're gathering this morning, your living room most likely, uh, your computer screen, uh, wherever you are, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord and just uh, thank you for joining me as we have a look at the Word of God and see what it is that He has to say to us by His Spirit through His Word. Uh, my name's Kent Anderson, if you don't know me, and I'm a member here at Dunbar Heights, and uh, I'm it's been my privilege over these years to uh, have the opportunity to bring the Word of God to you from time to time and give our pastor a little bit of a break, and I'm delighted to be able to do that here at this time of year. We're going to be continuing in, in the series that we've been working on through the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we're at chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3. And uh, it's an interesting text. Let's just read it together before uh, we get into the detail. But uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, says that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who, has spoken by, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That is a, a sobering thought. But this is the word of the Lord, and uh, we will trust him to speak to us through it. Let's just pray to that end, just for a moment. Lord, uh, we are grateful for your word, which offers us truth by which we can live and order our, ourselves, order our lives, and, and walk more faithfully with you. We would ask, very simply, this morning, that you would take uh, this word and you would allow us to hear it and understand it and appreciate it and uh, build the truth of it into our lives and our practice such that we can uh, live more faithfully uh, in your presence for your glory and uh, by your strength and grace. So speak through this word by your spirit. Use me, Lord, my words, 
um, my thoughts uh, to help everyone who's gathered to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are, nicely into uh, 2021. I don't know how you're feeling about that. Most of us are actually uh, probably quite relieved to be done with that uh, sorry excuse for a year that was 2020. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, it's not like things are dramatically different today than they were three days ago, but somehow with the turning of the calendar, it just feels like, like maybe there's a little bit of hope on the horizon and, uh, and we can look forward to something better. Uh, we, we're all hopeful for a better and brighter year as we go forward. I know I am. Uh, but how are your resolutions holding up here three days in to, to the new year? I mean, I'm assuming you've made some resolutions. I know I have, you know, I've, I've made some commitments to myself about uh, how I'm going to practice my life going forward, some of the things that I want to do a better job with. And uh, so, I, you know, I spent some time uh, over this last week really trying to, to think and pray and understand better how I could, you know, manage certain aspects of my life. You know, fitness for one thing. I mean, that's the, the thing everybody thinks of quite naturally at this time of year. But, uh, you know, I found a new app and I'm going to try to be a little more uh, diligent with that. We'll see how that holds up uh, over the next while. But uh, so far, so good. Anyway, you know, it, it, this idea of discipline and, uh, you know, pra the practice of life and uh, perhaps even our faith uh, is something that we think about this time of year. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, the history of the Christian church, uh, spiritual discipline, spiritual practice has been something that has been meaningful to Christian people over millennia, actually, as we've tried to think in a very disciplined way, in a very practiced sort of way about, I mean, you could call them the rituals of our faith, but the things that we do uh, intentionally to, to try to walk closely with God, you know, the way we practice prayer, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the spiritual disciplines, things like silence and solitude and, and uh, yeah, I guess in different ways of practicing prayer and gathering together as believers, the, the, those sorts of things. Uh, so, so, you know, we take time at, at this time of year often to, to think about those sorts of practices, but we got to be careful because, you know, it can get out of hand. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we know as we look at the history of the Christian church, a lot of people have taken these things that seem quite good, things like discipline, and turned them into obsessions. Actually, have gone to incredible lengths, you know, running off to desert caves and sitting on top of poles. And <laughs> well, you don't know, you don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy. I mean, people in the name of Christ who who have gone out into, you know, back in the fourth century, there were, there were thousands and thousands, tens and thousands of Christians went off into the deserts of North Africa and uh, formed communities and monastic groups, but some of them just went off by themselves into caves where they, they lived for years, decades, trying to please God, you know, trying to be more uh, faithful to him by somehow removing themselves entirely from all of society and all human uh, temptation and all that sort of thing. And, and, and perhaps that was helpful to them in, to some degree, but uh, for a lot of people, I think it, it uh, came off more as obsession and uh, you know, as you read some of these histories, it's, it's quite disturbing. People who would 
do crazy things like mixing their bread with sand in order to, uh, to show God somehow that they were truly repentant and truly faithful. Uh, uh, people who would go for years without laying eyes on another human being. People who would uh, spend long, long periods of time without ever reclining or, or uh, you know, staying upright as if somehow that would be something that God would be pleased by, that would show just how, how spiritual we were, how dedicated we were. My, my favorite story, I if favorite is the right word, this strange story of a fellow named Simeon Stylites. You may have heard of this guy who decided that he was going to, um, he, he was repentant for uh, confessing sin before God, believing that, that he needed to win the favor of God. And so he decided somehow to separate himself from the world by uh, living on top of a pole. It sounds strange, but this is what he did. He built a six-foot pole and got up on top of that pole and intended to, to stay there for a very long period of time. But uh, very quickly, he realized that six feet wasn't really sufficient. You know, like, like how serious could he really be? I mean, you fall off a six-foot pole, barely bruise yourself. So he built another pole 60 feet high with a little platform, a three-foot square platform on the top of the pole, a little railing around it. Uh, he, he made his way to the top of this pole somehow, tied himself by ropes to the railing in case he fell off in his sleep and such thing, and, and uh, lived on top of that pole for 30 years. 30 years without interruption. And his disciples would come and, you understand, if you're going to live on top of a pole for 30 years, you're going to gather disciples because people will be impressed. I don't know if God will be impressed, but people will. <laughs> so people would come and they would, they would, uh, they had this pulley system, pulley system that would allow the food to come up and down. And uh, I assume that's how they took care of his waste and other things that you don't really want to think about. Uh, but this somehow was intended to, to satisfy the, the problem that his sin had created between God and, and this man. He thought by showing God, to proving to God that he could be so disciplined, he could be so uh, committed to this practice, this physical action, that somehow God would be impressed and pleased. And, and you know, I, I think somehow... There's something about discipline, and you know, I've never sat on a pole or anything like that. I've never run off to to live in a cave, but I have found myself in a place where, where I feel like if I could just be more disciplined, if I could just, you know, spend an extra ten minutes a day in prayer, or just read that extra chapter of the scripture, or be just that much more committed, that much more disciplined than surely. Um, I'd be a better Christian, God would be more pleased. And the truth is, a lot of times these things become just exercises in missing the point. It becomes more about uh, obsession than actually knowing and loving and honoring God. Why am I talking about this? Well, it's that kind of year, <laughs> that time of year, I mean, uh, when, we, when we think about this sort of thing. And uh, it seems to be relevant to the passage that we're looking at. As uh, John had a problem, John the Baptist had a problem with some people 
who were uh, getting obsessed with the practices of the faith uh, over against an actual uh, commitment to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So let's, let's look at this again. I mean, we have issues with our rituals. And, uh, and so this is part of what's being addressed here in this passage. I, and bef- but before we read it again, or look at it again, I want to set up a little construct in your head that I think will help you read and hear this and understand it uh, a little more effectively. I'm going to suggest three words, and we're going to line those words up in our brain, in our mind, and uh, I think that will help us appreciate what's going on here. So the three words, easy to remember, they all start with R. And the first word is repentance, okay? Repentance. So let's establish that word in the center of our imagination here. And then to the sides, one side and the other side, we'll, we'll establish two other words. The other words are ritual. And then on the other side, let's use the word righteousness. So we've got repentance in the middle, on the one side, we have ritual, and on the other side, we have righteousness. You got that? Not too hard. <laughs> so uh, we focus, and in the center is this concept of repentance, because that's kind of core to who we are as Christians, until we repent. I mean, John the Baptist, the text says, came preaching a baptism of repentance. Jesus came and called on us to repent. Uh, The Apostle Paul called us to repent and believe the gospel. Uh, You have to, in order to commit to Christ, you have to repent. You have to turn. You have to, you're going in one direction, you turn around and say, okay, I'm now going in this direction. I was focused on myself, now I'm focused on Christ and his kingdom. Uh, So repentance is core. It's a given. It's, It's essential, really to our faith in Christ. Without repentance, we're living for ourselves. So that's established at the center. But now the question is, and and by the way, religious people understand this. Religious people understand the importance of repentance. Any kind of religion, really, that we're talking about, any religious presentation, repentance is going to be core. And we're no different around that as it relates to our Christian faith. But the question is, how is that repentance expressed? How, how does that repentance show itself? Does it show itself, does it express itself as ritual? Or does it express itself as righteousness? Now, so that's the issue. We got these three words. Are we leaning in the direction of ritual or are we leaning in the direction of righteousness? Now, let me give you two axioms, just, just simple ways to, to think about these three words. Repentance, that it expresses itself as ritual, is fruitless. Repentance, that expresses itself as righteousness, is fruitful. I think that's what John would have us understand here. Repentance, as understood as ritual, is fruitless repentance that expresses itself naturally as righteousness is going to be fruitful. So let's, with that in our mind, let's look at what's actually being said here. So it was those days that John the Baptist, this is uh, 
the cousin of Jesus, you remember, who was prophesied and was born uh, in advance or, or announced in advance of Jesus coming. Uh, but they were cousins, and he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Uh, notice he's in the wilderness. He's not in the center of the city or, or anything like that. He's, he's off uh, where uh, you know, people didn't live. And, and, but he had a very clear and strong message repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's time. It's time for us to repent because God is about to do something. He is bringing his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. It's time uh, because this is he who was prophesied, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. When Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness who would prepare the way of the Lord, he was not to be the Lord himself. He would prepare the way of the Lord. He would make the path straight, you know, kind of get things set for the coming of the, the Lord. This is John, the one we know as the baptizer. Uh, we're, we're not talking about a capital B Baptist. It's not like he was the president of the Baptist denomination or anything like that. John was one who, who baptized people. He was known for this practice, this, you could say, this ritual of, of baptism that uh, he led people to practice. Now, he wore a, um, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Now, now, now don't think care of a nice camel hair coat. This was understood to be, uh, you know, like, like sort of an austere kind of thing that you would wear out in the wilderness. <laughs> um, and, and so it was not particularly attractive. Uh, he was eating whatever food was available to him. In this case, you know, locusts and wild honey. That was not some fancy, you know, hipster meal. That was just you know, whatever he could find out there in, in the wilderness. But the next verse is interesting. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. He, didn't, he wasn't preaching in the city. He wasn't going to where the people were. The people were coming to him. And it's just like essentially everybody, all Jerusalem, all Judea, all the rest of the region around the Jordan, like people were coming big time. He was drawing crowds. Um, you know, it's, it's part of what God was doing. It was this key moment. People were coming and to hear this message of repentance. And they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. This is a good thing. Confession of sin is, is a very good thing. And it's, you know, it feels good to confess sin. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I, I finally got this off my chest. I've, I've been able to confess this sin. Now I've got a clean slate, it feels like, you know, like I'm like a a new year, a fresh, a fresh sheet of paper. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's that, that sense that we have, that we're, we're free somehow. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, verse 7, coming to the baptism, John wasn't quite so pleased. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were people who were leading the religious community at the time. And these are people who loved ritual. These are people who loved the practices of their religion. And uh, I mean, so much so that you might, you might recall Jesus, when he was criticizing the Pharisees, 
took them to task for things like paying a tithe out of their spice rack. <laughs> Forget about their wallets. I mean, they took everything they had and they would give God 10% of, of what they had as a practice. As you know, Is that a bad thing? Probably not, you know? Like, like I tithe my money, try to do a little better than that, but, but uh, something I do, it's, it's, it's a ritual, it's part of the practice of my faith. I'm not gonna criticize the Pharisees for, uh, for trying to be diligent in, in honoring God with their things, but the problem was not the practice so much, but how they understood what was being achieved by what they were practicing, if, if you follow that. So, so their sense was that God was kind of like the government to whom you have to pay your tax. And in this case, the rate of taxation was about 10%. <laughs> you know? And so it's actually a pretty good deal. You pay God your 10% of, of everything you have, and then everything else is yours. And you can do and be anything you want to do and be. You can spend your money however you want. You can act how you want. You can say what you want. You can be, as long as you got, give God his due. It's like paying taxes. <laughs> you got you to gotta buy God off here <laughs> with, this, with this certain amount of practice, with this certain amount of discipline, with this. And, and you know, John came along preaching this baptism of repentance and confession, and it, they were able to see how that fit their narrative. You know, this is great. This is great. We'll go down to the river. There's big crowds there. Everybody will see it. We'll, we'll be baptized. <laughs> and then we can go on being the terrible people that everybody knows us to be. And they were. They were terrible people. Prideful. Selfish. Bitter. Angry. And everybody knew it, but it didn't matter, right? Because they were paying their taxes. They were doing their disciplines. Here they were being baptized. And John calls them on it. John calls them on it. I, I, um, <laughs> I hesitate to, to tell this story because it, it has to do with my son. And um, I don't want to suggest that my son is pharisaical in any way <laughs> because my son is a wonderful guy. Uh, but uh, when he was young, one of the things that would happen regularly between he and I, as a father who was trying to train him up and the way he should go and help him become, you know, a, a fine young man and a good uh, Christian person, uh, that sometimes my son would, would uh, disappoint me. You know, sometimes he would do something that he knew in his heart I wouldn't be pleased by. And when I would hold him accountable for those things, <laughs> he learned a magic word. And, and that word was sorry. And, you know, if you're a parent, you know how this goes. You, you, you catch your child in, in this problem, in this sin, and they feel a sense of accountability and say, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and my son learned pretty quickly, all he had to do was say sorry, and that would uh, relieve the, uh, the problem with his father. 
And to a degree, that's, that, that was true. You know, like, like if he's sorry, what, what can I say? Except that there was a sense sometimes where I wasn't sure whether he really was sorry or whether he was just using the word to ward me off <laughs> and to, and to uh, you know, remove the sting of the, uh, the sin. Well, in some ways, that's what these Pharisees were doing. By confessing, by following these practices, they were able to, in their mind, ward God off and get him out of the way. Sort of grant, almost like a vaccine. <laughs> you know, they, they, they get inoculated then against the wrath of God and they could go on then and be the terrible people that they really, in their heart, wanted to be. Well, that is repentance that is relying on, that is expressing itself as ritual. And as John says, that's going to be fruitless. John, John lets him have it. When he saw, verse 7, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, like, don't be playing the Abraham card. Because that was their other move, right? <laughs> when they, were, they, they could say, hey, we're good. We're sons of Abraham. And uh, I mean, yeah, that, that meant something in, in the history of the Israelite people, the people of God. But John kind of throws that back in their face and says, look, you think that counts for anything before God? God can raise up children of Abraham from these very stones. You can't be counting on that. He says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You, you, you know, you think this is just what John has to say? Well, Jesus is going to say something very similar just uh, a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 7, at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about his people as trees. And so we're all fruit-bearing trees. And uh, if you want to know whether you're looking at a faithful Christian, you can look at the fruit. You know, Paul said something similar to the Galatians. If you want to know whether you're connected to the Spirit, look at the fruit. You know, what kind of fruit is being born here? He said, bear fruit, John says, in keeping with repentance. In other words, repent, honestly. And I got to believe there were many, many people who came to John for baptism with an honest and contrite heart who were truly, honestly coming to God with their sin, confessing their heart, who were honestly looking for, for God to be gracious to them. And, and so uh, for these people who came with an honest spirit before God, participated in this action, John challenges them then to live to, to bear the fruit that is appropriate to the action. As one repents, you bear fruit in keeping with that repentance, and that will be seen as righteousness. So the person who comes to, to God honestly with a contrite spirit, confessing sin, re truly repenting, 
And not just relying on the ritual practice, but relying instead on the grace of God in Christ. That's going to show itself. That's going to show itself as fruit. And that fruit is going to look like righteousness. It's a beautiful thing. You know, sometimes I tell myself, like I was talking about personal, like physical discipline earlier. Uh, sometimes I tell myself that the reason I work out, you know, believe it or not, I do a little bit. I, <laughs> but, but, you know, when, when, I, uh, when I do that, I sometimes tell myself that the reason I'm doing that is so that I can go out and enjoy junk food. You know, like, like uh, I buy the junk food and consume it and feel okay about it because I've been working out. Well, that's kind of pharisaical <laughs> in a sense. The truth is, what my experience is, the more I practice these, these physical disciplines, the less desire I have for the garbage. You know what I mean? The, the, the more I'm, I'm working on, uh, you know, running fitness routines, whatever it is I'm doing, the more I'm into that, the more I find I have a heart for the things that are right and good, uh, physically speaking. And the same is true spiritually. The more I walk with God, the more time I spend in his word, the more time I'm praying. It's, it's not because I have to log a certain number of minutes in prayer. Jesus is going to speak to that as well in the Sermon on the Mount, just two chapters or three chapters later. I, it's not a matter of impressing God with your practice, standing on a street corner, making sure that everybody sees you praying, making sure you're spending enough hours, enough minutes, enough words in prayer to God, reading enough chapters. No, not a, God isn't impressed with any of that. The, the, the point is that these are the practices that are in keeping with repentance. As we repent, these are the things that come naturally to us if our heart is right before God. So as we uh, look to this new year, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm trying to keep in mind. And, you know, we, we were talking about this 2021 thing. I mean, the, the truth is it could go either way. Right? I mean, we're, we're, uh, we're hopeful. We've got the promise of things like vaccines. And, you know, we, we're, we're really looking forward to the day when we can come together and, and worship all in person and, and, and actually give each other a hug and shake each other's hands and, you know, I mean, I, I, you know that that passage about greeting each other with a holy kiss. I'm 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 I might actually want to do that next time. You know, when we, when we get together again like this, we're looking forward to these times. But you know, it it, it it feels a little uncertain right now, doesn't it? It feels a little shaky. It just feels we're not sure where things are going. We're not sure what's going to happen. And I'll tell I'll tell you personally. I've got concerns about the church. I mean, not this church per se, but the church in, in general and the way uh, some Christians are, are talking and approaching things these days. I see, I, I saw yesterday, I was telling Pastor West, I saw yesterday uh, a, a pastor in a church who is calling on its people to defy the government and show up and bring their guns in order to, uh, you know, to worship together because somehow... This is understood to be, you know, I know, I know that that's extreme, an extreme example and all that sort of thing, but it does describe this kind of pharisaical approach 
to, to our Christian faith. This idea, for example, that, that we can't honor God unless we're physically present going through the Sunday morning ritual of being in the pew and, and practicing our liturgy, practicing our worship, and, and that if we don't do that, somehow we are unable to be Christian. Or we are, you know, it's this idea that what makes us Christian is the practices that we do, that we're relying on our faithfulness in attendance and participating in the stuff that Christians do as opposed to resting in the gospel, the, the actual gospel, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And, you know, this is just something we're struggling with in this moment as, as Christian believers. And I think it's, it's kind of pharisaical. You know? I, I think it's interesting when you look at John the Baptist, like he could have gone with that, right? I mean, he had the crowds coming. Now he's even got the religious leaders coming. Like he's got everybody at his feet. They're, I mean, he could have just rolled with that. He could have just, he just could have received all that. And, 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 you know, been honored by it and feel like he was important because of it. But he didn't. It must have been tempting. But no, no. John actually understood who he was in this whole thing. He understood that he was not the master. He was just the forerunner. He was one preparing the way. And what did he say? I love it. There's so much sarcasm in his voice. It's, he's, he says, me, are you kidding? I'm not, there's one who's coming. I'm not even worthy to buckle his sandals, which is the act of a servant. He says, I'm not even worthy to serve the one who is coming. And that one, of course, being Jesus, the one upon whom we depend the one upon whom we trust for grace. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord God, help us. Lord, forgive us for believing that we can appease you by these actions, these practices of faithfulness, that somehow that this is what makes us holy. Lord, help us realize that we stand before you by your grace and only by your grace. And that these things that we do, the coming together to worship, even if it has to be on YouTube, <laughs> the, the reading of your scripture, the prayer life that we practice, these things are what we do because you've been gracious to us. Not in order to receive that grace from you. See, these, these disciplines, they still matter, right? They still matter. Being faithful to, to read and understand scripture, uh, practicing the presence of God, being faithful in prayer, these things still matter. But are they the fruit? Or are they the thing by which we understand our, uh, uh, our, our, that we're pleasing God? 
couple years ago, uh, I was on a, a trip to Israel with a group, and we actually went to the Jordan River. And uh, some of the members of our group were baptized right there in the Jordan River. It could have been the very spot where this event happened. It was in the Judean wilderness. It was, it was right there. I, and, you know, we knew this was going to happen, and, and there was some preparation for it, and there were some members of the group that were really excited about participating in this. And I'll just be honest with you, I was a little nervous about it. I mean, I wasn't going to be baptized. I, I've been baptized. I, I, but but for, for these others, I, I was a little nervous that, that somehow we, we were going to get the idea that these were magical waters or something like that. that, that, that somehow by me being baptized in the Jordan River, you know, just like Jesus, that somehow that would make us extra spiritual or something. You know, and, and, and I, was, I was worried that maybe we were going to be a little pharisaical about it. You know? And to tell you the truth, I mean, if you've been there, Jordan River is not that exciting. It, it's not very deep. It's, it's muddy. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not very attractive, to tell you the truth. There's nothing magical about these waters. So I was concerned. But then, you know, we experienced that event. And, you know, one, one guy in particular, a friend of mine named Doug, and I watched him go down in that water and just, you know, and he'd been a believer for a while, but now here he is being baptized. And, and he came out of the water and his face was just shining. And uh, I started to realize that, you know, there's something honest about this man's expression this man's practice. I, I was actually on a Zoom call with him uh, just a couple weeks ago, and I can tell you that in the two years since, that, that man has been bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And it's a beautiful thing. So let's, let's be disciplined this year in 2021. Uh, as soon as we have the opportunity, let's come back together and be in this place together week by week. Let's spend time in prayer. Let's be uh, walking close to God and bear the fruit in keeping with, the, let's turn from our sin and bear the fruit in keeping with that repentance. Not because somehow we are going to please God and then we can go live any way we want, but because this is the natural result of somebody who has received God's grace fallen in love with Jesus and, and can do no other <laughs> as a result. Are you with me? Yeah, let's pray together. Lord, these are challenging things for us. We just get this so messed up. It's the difference between, you know, just, just being merely religious and actually having a relationship with you based upon your grace. Um, Lord, it's easy for us to fall back on our rituals because we can control them, because we can manage them, because they're straightforward. And yet, Lord, we just, we just know from this passage and so many others that from the teaching of Jesus, we know that, that, that just, you're just not impressed by these things. So, Lord, we repent of that. Lord, we're sorry for every time we've, we've looked at the practice of our faith as somehow producing our faith, producing our, our righteousness somehow. 
when, Lord, we realize that, that our righteousness is ours entirely by grace, entirely by your good, uh, your good grace, your, your free gift. Your, it, it's what you have made available for us, and we, we rest in that. And we want to bear fruit in keeping with, with your gift. So, Lord, we, we are going to, I am going to, uh, do what I can, Lord. Do what's in, in my power to be more faithful in the practice of my faith, but not as a way, Lord, of winning your favor, but as simply living out the honest consequence of being captured by your grace. Lord, may it be for all of us, Lord. Lord, we do look forward to coming back together. May you speed that date. Lord, we pray for a successful result of, of this uh, vaccination process. Lord, we, we pray that you would, you would bring just forgiveness and insight to, to, to those of us who, who have got ourselves caught up in the wrong things and have been fighting and bitter and acting like in ways that kind of the world expects us to. But Lord, Lord, help us to be people who joyfully and uh, beautifully bring, bring your grace to bear in the world in keeping with repentance, in keeping with our confession by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.